Yes, welcome back to the Lars Resort is is back. It's happening again. The pod the pod is being recorded. Did not happen last week, as you may have noticed. I forgot to do the usual thing. This is, of course, the Lars Resort, the podcast with me, Lars Sievertson, brought to you by Betson. Praise be. Thank you very much to them. But it didn't come to you last uh, week because I had, as you know, this is very free form. It is, I record something when I have something to say. And I had one of those weeks where there were like five different things that were kind of interesting, but nothing grabbed me enough to sit down and record. And I didn't want to head into another weekend or another week like that. So I decided this is why I need help. Uh, and this is why I have asked our dear friend Peter Welpton to come back and help me and guide me through another weekend of football. Maybe I'm lo- losing my, my monologuing touch, you guys. But it is so much nicer to have someone else on the line. Oh, my days. Uh, Peter Welpton, thank you so much for coming on. It's way more fun and way easier to do this with two people instead of just prattling on by yourself. That's t- That's tough stuff to do. Do you know before... We became the Lars Resort when this was the OG Norwegian pod. I did, I, yeah, before we went international. Um, I recorded 250 episodes. Whoa. And I, and I would say... All solo? Let's say somewhere between 20 and 30 had guests, probably. I'd definitely say over 200 were solo. Um it's amazing people listen to me for that long. God bless. I mean, all the, the remnants, the, the the people from the OG Norwegian pod, kind of think you should have your own bar in the resort or something. That could be like the Norwegian bar where everyone wears Viking helmets. Uh, but like, God bless you for sitting through all that. That, that was quite something. But, but Peter, thank you so much. I, I need your help today more than ever. Um, and I want to ask you just straight up, let's keep this free form. Let's keep it chilled out and say, what did you, what, what soccer did you watch this weekend that really grabbed you from the Premier League? I watched a lot of it this weekend. As you know, here in the States, we are treated to all of the games. Mm. Um, and <laughs> yeah. uh, so. So you watch Liverpool? <laughs> yeah, I watched the Liverpool game. When the three o'clock games are on, we have a, a feature here in the States called Goal Rush, which is just mm. on one game and then they flip around to the other games uh, as goals or action happens. And it's it's a great way to consume five games at once without trying to throw up a bunch of screens in front of you. Uh, so I watched them all. And I would say the biggest thing that is the most entertaining or not entertaining, most interesting thing about the weekend so far as we get into this point of the season, this very early point of the season is I'm trying to figure out who is the team that we consider to be most in crisis. Ah, uh, you, you, the crisis pillow. Yes. The crisis. Who, who gets to hold the crisis pillow at this moment? Is it a Manchester United? which is a, I mean, they are uh, a whisper away from being on maybe three points, if you're being generous. Yeah. B, Chelsea, and that's ridiculousness. Is it C, Aston Villa? Oh. Is it E, Newcastle? Or is it E, last place, and I think maybe the biggest surprise of the season so far, Burnley? Yeah, let's start with Burnley because I I worry about them. Got to tell you now. Yes. Also, also on zero points is is Luton, and they were meant to play each other, but they couldn't. So probably someone would have gotten something out of that. But I worry that Burnley are having what I touched on in preseason. I think they're having the Norwich problem, you guys. <laughs> it, 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 it looks to me like they're going out and they're trying to play football the way they did in the championship. 
And it's just not the same against better opponents. It's it's just a very different thing beating someone, trying to get results against guys who have better players than you pretty much every week than just going out and sort of bullying teams in the championship because you've recruited cleverly and you have some technically good players that your opponents quite don't quite know what to do do about. Can we can we at least point out and be fair to Burnley that their three opponents in losses are Man City, Aston Villa, and Tottenham? No, that's a that's a very very fair point. But I just think it's the way. It's not so much that they've lost games. It's it's a little bit that the, the Norwich problem happening. I do worry about the way Burnley have just kind of gone out, and it looks like they've tried to press and play on the front foot and do all the stuff they were doing in the Championship. But it turns out against the sort of standard of opponent here, they just kind of play through that press and and mm-hmm. they get into huge trouble. So the caveat is as you pointed out yeah it's the players they've the teams they've faced it's going to get easier and they in those games they've had good moments so when they turn up against Sheffield United and against Wolves and and these guys probably it'll get better but but it's shades of the Norwich problem already I think well on the flip side of that game losing uh letting in five and only scoring two against Spurs Lars you are my close Spurs friend Mm -hmm. You're in second place. All above the Ange Express. Man. And yeah. there and there it, it feels like old schools, old school Spurs fun. It is so far away and such a distance from the Mourinho Conte uh, dark era of Spurs history. It's everything just feels right for Spurs these days. And it's weird considering Harry Kane's not on the team anymore. Yeah. Now, 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 without me wanting to be the wet blanket here, here there is also a fixture list consideration. Uh, got a draw away to Brentford. Slightly chaotic game. Could have gone either way. Beat what was a very dysfunctional on the day Manchester United team. Then beat Bournemouth. We don't quite know yet what that's worth. And now they've beaten, uh, <laughs> beaten Burnley, who we're not that keen on. So there could be an element of fixture list not too unkind on them and this could still go wrong but this is again what i said ahead of the season as a tottenham fan who's had to sit through so much bilge the last couple of seasons you know what i will accept finishing ninth or some stuff like that as long as this is what they're trying to do on the field at least for this season because there's just been so much crap and 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 this is tottenham trying to be a tottenham team at the very least uh, with a manager who's immensely likable and carries himself very well and speaks coherently and, and and is just a guy you root for. And again, really, really like, um, I'm hoping this sort of uh, slightly tubby, bearded uh, man with increasingly thinning hair who wears uh, navy polo shirts, I'm hoping that can become a huge look. I think for, for, for my life, I, I'm really rooting for Ange. For this to, I want Ange to be a sex symbol. Come on, guys, make it happen. Are you going to start dressing like uh, post to go glue? I already do, my friend. This, oh. is why this, this, this joke works a lot better when I'm recording with people who know me in real life. <laughs> I am wearing a very Ange post to glue in sort of dark navy polo shirt at the moment. Well, I just as a as a neutral observer, it is fun to see Spurs be uh, a fun Spurs side, and everybody looks like they're enjoying themselves. Uh, and I think good thing that pretends good things for the season for the for the club. I just it's it's fun. And James Madison, oh my gosh, yeah. how many how many other teams are like, man, I can't believe we passed up James Madison. And, and it's also 
I'm sure there are great examples. And actually, listeners, tweet in uh, to at Lars Severson with your great examples. But, but, but great examples of players who just immediately go into the team or go, yeah, yeah, no, that is exactly what that team were missing all along. Uh, because, of course, sort of creative souls like him had been mostly purged <laughs> during the two previous regimes. Uh, not, neither neither uh, Conte nor Mourinho would, would make, get much out of Madison, I think it's fair to say. Uh, but his uh, sort of slightly free role, just kind of roaming around looking for space, where he can find it, and, and it, it just suits him perfectly. I've always worried about him that as technically gifted as he is, he's a slightly chaotic player who tries high-risk things all the time, and in a lot of top teams, like, he, he's got a touch of the Bruno Fernandes. I mean, he's much less annoying as a presence, but he has that sort of slightly chaotic, I will try Hollywood things all the time thing, that, like, Pep Guardiola would go crazy. But I think in this Spurs side, the way Ange wants them to play with loads of people pouring forward, so he has passes to pick. He seems to have quite a lot of positional freedom to roam around looking for space. It's working really well. And before we depart from from Tottenham, God, Son Heung-min, if he could play well consistently as a striker, that would solve a lot of problems in this roster, uh, with apologies to Richarlison, but you know that would be so good if he could do this on a regular basis. And, and, and Destiny Udogi. Who knew? Yeah, like I, right. I recorded an episode where I forgot he existed, but like, look at this. This is amazing. Yeah, it's a really nice pickup. Uh, the international break is coming up. Burnley next has Forest and Spurs. Fun run will continue against uh, Sheffield. So mm. got that to look forward to. And the maybe the easing in of the schedule uh, helps out Ange uh, quite a bit. We'll see how this goes when the schedule gets more difficult. All right, so if the, if Burnley gets to hold the crisis pillow, who mm. handed it to them, Lars? We'll keep running with this idea. <laughs> did, 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 someone, did someone get out of crisis mode, do you think? Well, did Burnley pull it away from somebody and go, yeah, no, 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 it's us. Mm. Is it Newcastle, Villa, Chelsea, or Man United? I, I think the Chelsea thing is so interesting. It is. Because I made this joke on on, on Twitter about like showing both this game and against West Ham, they like created a lot of chances and had more XG and stuff, but lost. And it's like, you know, well, you guys, you did want to be more like Brighton. Like <laughs> you bring in enough Brighton guys and the sort of lots of XG, but no and no actual G <laughs> seems to have, seems to have followed up from the South Coast. Uh, and and of course, paradoxically, the guy maybe they really need is Evan Ferguson, who I don't think Brighton are selling to anyone at this point. But yeah, Chelsea, I'm so torn between wanting to make fun of them because making fun of Todd Bowley is always good. Also, I still think they'll be fine. And and, and you, when you watch this game, the concern you have is where the goals are coming from. They don't have a proper number nine. And I think especially in these games against low block teams, you know, Jackson is more... I, th- I think he's played quite a lot of games out wide in his career. I'm going to probably look that up in a second. Uh, I, I think even Armando Broja, if he was fit, just having a sort of really angry uh, Englishman from Slough of Albanian descent... Uh, could 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 be what you needed in that context, but yeah, the, no sort of reference point in the middle. I think really hurts them in in games like this. And then you're kind of hoping Raheem Sterling or, or Madueke or Mudrik or any of those other guys can get you a goal. But the, the, the toothlessness is an issue. But in terms of the process, and we we always say I trust the process. Teams that create chances will eventually be fine. That suggests that Chelsea will eventually be fine. But the big thing is like how much time will Pochettino get for them to be fine? Yeah, and what is fine? What qualifies as fine for Chelsea and the amount of money they've spent and all of the other things that just make this such a weird and unique story? Yeah, so for me, because I tend to think macro maybe too much, I think 
being uh, making top four would be fine. Being yeah. very uh, making top four or being extremely close to making top four, you know, I think if you, as long as you're in the conversation right towards the end of the season, ideally, may I, I would call that a sort of semi-acceptable transitional season. I do suspect that because of uh, because of money, they they do kind of need to get the top four <laughs> for for these sums to make any kind of sense going forward. But, but I'm always sort of when you make the decision that they made and go this young, that's a brave thing to do that can really pay off. You know, look at Arsenal. They've really renewed, rejuvenated the squad and has really helped them a lot. But but you do need, there needs to be an element of patience there, I think, then. Uh, but the question is, is that something the Chelsea hierarchy are capable of? You mentioned Evan Ferguson and Brighton, who we'll talk about here in a little bit. The other thing that I that dawned on me over the weekend was just watching Billy Gilmore the former Chelsea Academy player that Chelsea sold to Brighton for just a little over 8 million euros. Yeah. So smooth for the Brighton midfield the other day, while Casado, who Brighton sold to Chelsea for 116 million euros, looked completely lost for Chelsea. And I just, I think there's a weirder story in in thinking about that. Cause man, I, I don't know. It just seems, that just seems broken to me. Well, I think game state matters a little bit here. I mean, Caicedo is probably not at his very best when you're trying to break down a Nottingham Forest who are kind of camped out in their own uh, in their own half for most of the game. But Gilmore doing well, yeah, it would be one of those things that makes you think. You know, you know, Chelsea's academy is really good. Like Chelsea keep bringing up players, and far too often they end up letting them go, and they they they, they do well elsewhere. That seems to happen fairly often. Yeah, I don't know. I it's just it's the it's the fact that one guy literally was sold for less than like seven percent of what the other guy got bought yeah, for. And yeah. is there really a hundred is there literally a hundred and eleven million dollars difference between those two players? Well, I mean they do very different things. So I think the question isn't yeah. is there no, they're very different. They're um uh, I mean, you wouldn't compare Billy Gilmore to Caicedo. You'd compare him to Enzo, I think, in terms of what sure. he does. Sure. Okay, field. that's fair. Yes. Okay, that's fair. But but the question uh, still applies. I, I I just just for me, it's a function of what it, it's a it's a representative of what maybe the dysfunction within Chelsea is. They've got some really good quality parts in their system that maybe they were just too willing to get rid of because they had their eye on something bright and shiny and. Uh, you know, elsewhere. Uh, I don't know. It just, it, no, I but know, I, I, this really I, stuck I, out to me the other day. Maybe I, I'm just grasping it. No, I, I do think that's a, a, it's a valid point. If you, if you track Chelsea over since Abramovich, I'm sure you can find some really good examples of them letting an Academy product go and then spending a lot of money on a player who's better, but maybe not that much better. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think you're right. And that that's probably happened too many times. I maintain, and I'm, I'm sounding like a very broken record now. I still think if you just had a proper number nine in this team, so you could get the goals. Sure. I, yeah. I, st- I still like the look of it in terms of having interesting players for all your positions. But but Nicholas Jackson needs to not do what he did against Nottingham Forest. <laughs> I mean, that was terrible for me for the betting column because uh, Chelsea, Nottingham Forest, both teams to score was one of the first things I went for, you know, because Forest have uh, obviously been looking spicy up front, as we know, and they, they, they did their job. But... Yeah, Nicholas Jackson, man, you're you're killing me. What's what's that finish? Yeah. What was that about? Yeah, that was a bad miss, and I, man, the whole thing just looks very dysfunctional. And it's all about can Poach turn all of this individual talent into a team and find some way yeah. to make it all work together? In the meantime, Forrest goes like it just it's just an unbelievable result for for Forrest, who now sit in ninth place, Lars. 
Look at the tricky trees. Look at them go. Uh, obviously, hilariously bad away from home all of last season. And they did lose their first two away from home this season as well. But that was away to Arsenal and away to United. And they scored in both of those. They made life difficult for Arsenal. They certainly made life difficult for United. Uh, they have all the tools now, I think, to be a really awkward sort of counter-attacking team to play against. They have that front line that we really like. Even with Brennan Johnson leaving, you still got uh, Elanga to come in, who's got a lot of pace. Elanga gives White and Awoni you know, you still have a lot of the same qualities, even if Brennan Johnson, I'd probably have him over Elanga, but you know what I'm saying. And you have a, a lot of like really hardworking, tough central midfielders there. You have some rugged mid central defenders. They even brought in Ibrahim Sangare from uh, from the Dutch league, who's a really like I like the look of him a lot. He's been like in an analytics darling for a few years. Uh, he's an Ivorian central midfielder, six foot three, uh, plays for PSV. One of those guys who's both a ball winner and pretty steady with his passing as well can get the ball forwards again it's not for the first time this summer i'm like i'd, I'd have him at tottenham i'd be more than happy if tottenham signed him uh, and he's gone to nottingham forest uh, so that's they're shaping up to be to be a decent team i think they've been a surprise for sure i like taiwan taiwanese i just think he's yeah. a he's a, a a good quality uh for the we, value we called this early right for for i mean we have like different factions in the lars resort listenership we've got the og norwegians we've got a few p1s who wandered over from the kick around uh, very pretty the, the texans in here over <laughs> having <laughs> some having some guac that you you brought in peter <laughs> yes. um and, and i think the the, the kick around guys Hopefully, we'll remember you and I flagged up Ivony early last season as we someone did. who's actually this guy has a lot going for him as a striker. Just this really nice combination of being quite fast, pretty physically robust, not afraid to put some hard work in, and listen, not the cleanest finisher in the world, but certainly a good enough finisher to get goals. I absolutely think he could do a job for much bigger uh, clubs than Nottingham Forest, but I think he's perfect in that sort of counter-attacking uh, uh, system they have. Well, they like I said, they are a surprise as they are in the top half of the table in ninth. Uh, Forest has Burnley up next, as we mentioned mm, ago. Interesting. And then, uh, Chelsea has Bournemouth after the international that, break. Love that Burnley Forest matchup. That's really interesting because we have a couple of things going on here. Like this Nottingham Forest counterattack is is this for real? Is it just a couple of games and me overreacting and and confirmation bias because I think it looks good on paper. Or is it a real thing? But then again, Burnley, we want to see them. Can they do their thing and press high and, and, and play the way they want to play against someone who's like not as scary an opponent as they've met so far? Really interesting matchup. Looking forward to that game. All right. Uh, also in the sitting on the sofa, passing around the crisis pillow, uh, was left over as Newcastle, Villa, and Manchester United. Who would you like to talk about next? Can I just tease you and say... All your sort of instincts and and bodily functions were screaming at you to throw to adverts at this point. I mean, this felt like such a like gonna throw to ads. You you've done a lot of radio in your life. I, I, listen, could you hear it in Peter's voice there? Yeah, he was like, "Yeah, I'm about to throw to ads. I'm about to, about to go to break." I'm yeah, no, oh. no break in the resort. The resort never stops. Uh, <laughs> where where were we? <laughs> I was asking who of those teams left on the crisis pillow sofa. It is. Uh, who would you like to talk about next? Newcastle, Villa, or United? Yeah. So the Newcastle thing. So I'm obviously, for reasons that listeners will be very familiar with, I'm always sort of liable to be a bit harsh with with Newcastle because how I feel about the ownership and all this sort of stuff. But hmm, like there is the caveat of the like. Listen, okay. 
the game against Villa opening day, what an occasion, you know? Brilliant, loads of goals, played well. You go away to City, you lose. Yeah, that happens. You 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 stuff it up at home to Liverpool. You know what? Yeah, Liverpool have some good players. That can happen. And you lose away to Brighton. Everyone loves Brighton. They play really well. Yeah, it can happen. But it's just there were two games. Certainly, certainly both the City game and the Newcastle game. I came out of it thinking, you know, these are forgivable results. But I'm just I'm kind of expecting more from these guys. I thought they were so passive away to City, and I thought it didn't suit the occasion at all, and didn't suit the team. And against Liverpool, they were sort of they were on top and, and one man more, and they just kind of didn't go for the jugular. They looked a little bit, you know, like they were like hesitant almost. And then yeah, you you come up against Brighton, and and that didn't go well at all. <laughs> You know, there are for me there are different types of uh, crisis clubs. You know, how do I say this? There clubs that are quote unquote in crisis come in different flavors. Yeah, there's the comical crisis, which is probably Chelsea or yeah. United at this point, and then there are these confusing crises. Like, how did it get this point? Yeah, and Newcastle and to a degree Villa, uh, I think, fall into this category, and because Newcastle is the and this is. Remember my wacky prediction at the beginning of the season, Lars? Yeah, people to get fired? Yeah, my prediction was of the top of the seven top clubs, two of those managers will no longer be manager by the end of the season. Yeah. And and the and while that may seem wacky, you look at Newcastle and Eddie Howe and you yeah. can see a world or you can even see Chelsea and Pochettino. I know that seems ridiculous, but remember, it's owned by Todd Bowley. Anything's yeah. possible. If things don't get better by Christmas, you could see something going on, but it's so early in the season. But I don't understand why Eddie Howe refuses to let that team like he just won't put it in like it's it's like it's like he won't put it into another gear. Yeah, you know what? That's exactly what it is. And that that's the feeling I've had watching Newcastle this season. That they're like they're not flying, you know? And there's so much if you look at the players on the team sheet, one of the things that strike you, there's so much energy there. There's so many good runners yeah. in this lineup. So you, you're expecting them to fly. Now, in fairness, that's what Brighton wants them to do, right? So it's possible that he's sort of, you can forgive maybe not going headless chicken press against Brighton because it's exactly what they practice on, on exploiting. Okay, fair enough. But there's just something missing there. Well, how do you not, how do you not club Liverpool to death when they're playing down a man and, yeah. you've, got, and you've got Trent on a yellow and Anthony Gordon just terrorizing him? just seemed a little bit apprehensive didn't they which i don't yeah. quite understand and they're also in this weird they are in this weird place where they're sort of half they're halfway towards becoming a big team in terms of the the players they brought into their club but the squad is still sort of fleshed out with like solid hard working guys who you might you can imagine Eddie Howe having at Bournemouth you know so they, they, they've got a mix of various things but but you look at this and like a backline of, of Target, Burn, Sharon, and Trippier is like that's fine, <laughs> but 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 for like the super ambitious, well funded uh, sports washing project of Saudi Arabia, you kind of yeah, that's it's not not amazing, is it? No, but I think my one of the most interesting stats of the weekend is the fact that Newcastle has now lost three games. They lost five games in total all of last season, and they didn't even lose their third game until March. Yeah, of last season, and they've already yeah. lost three. So I, it, it's all haywire, and I'm not really, I can't really put my finger on it, other than the fact that Howe just seems to kind of like have them, it won't seem to let them run loose. I don't know. It's just weird to me. I also remain unconvinced about Anthony Gordon in general. I just think he's he runs a lot, which is the most, good. The most punchable face in the Premier League. 
he he's a, he's quite dislikable, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe he's a lovely man who loves his mother and all this sort of stuff, but he uh, he's he's not a likable presence on the field. I'll say that. But I mean, this point, yeah, this also, this this feels very Eddie Howie. Uh, this is like what, like I said, I. I I think Newcastle have done very well to not sort of jump into the obvious pitfalls of being a new Warriors club and signing guys with like big names and declining careers. Like all the guys have ended up going to Saudi. Like I kind of imagined those guys would be heading to Newcastle and Newcastle are building something different based on like people who work hard and stuff. And that's, that's probably, that's probably good. Certainly better than the other version, but there's also part of me that's like, well, spending 40 million on, uh, on Anthony Gordon, and like another 40 on Harvey Barnes, like a combined 80 million pounds on Anthony Gordon and Harvey Barnes. That is what happened. That's what, what would happen if you would have given uh, the Bournemouth Eddie Howe a massive budget. You know, <laughs> it's, it's not, I'm not convinced that is the way if, if you're seeking, if you're aiming towards global domination, you know? Yeah. Just side note, because I am a bit of a kit nerd, as you know, Lars. Um, I'm going to guess at this point that the ownership has just decided to thumb their nose at everybody and continue to mimic the Saudi Arabian national team kit with, because I don't know if you've compared the current uh, Saudi home shirt versus this new alternative or secondary Newcastle shirt. They are awfully similar to each other, not just in color, but even in pattern now. No, that's what it is. And does this, anybody I, over there really care about this, or is this just somebody something stupid I care about? It, it is what it is, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's embarrassing that the Premier League actually like did the whole oh, it's not related to the Saudi state thing. It's it's an absolute embarrassment that they sort of put their names to that. But it is what it is. The club is here now. Um, as I'm going to do something I don't really usually do because I'm usually too disorganized on this podcast. But I have a po- an episode coming up. Uh, since we're heading into international break, where we're going to talk, we're going to go into FIFA stuff and talk a little bit about, about global football and things mm. with a very, very interesting interviewee, uh, which you will uh, all will be revealed in a few days. But the person in question told me something very interesting. I'm kind of teasing podcast uh, content to come. But with a lot of the stuff these Gulf states do in football, it's less about us and what we think of them than we think. And, and more about positioning within rivalries in the Gulf and their positioning in the world in general, right? Hmm. We, we, tend to, we tend to think about it as, oh, they want us to think uh, the Gulf states are shiny and great. And there's an element of that, but there's also a huge element, I'm, I'm reliably informed, of, of them kind of showing off. Look what we can do with all our money. So the example that was used was the sort of beer ban in Qatar. You know, they were like, oh, you know, we're going to have the beer. And then on the evening, oh, we're, we're not going to have the beer. Like, Screw you guys. We don't have beer here. And that part of that was to just kind of show everyone else in, in, in that part of the world and, and people who f- feel similarly about beer, I guess, that look at what we can do. Like, this is our World Cup. These sort of Northern European dickheads, they, they can't come us come here and tell us what to do with our beer. We're not going to have beer. It, it is flexing, basically. And, mm. I, I, and I think the Saudi away shirts that Newcastle are playing in. I think there's an element of that. I think there's an element of like, yeah, this is our team. We can dress them up in the national team shirt. What are they going to do? <laughs> they might not like it. They might think we're bad people, but screw them. We have the money. Well, as an aside, just as a shirt alone, I actually like it. I think it's an excellent uh, contrasting color for Newcastle, but and a, and a nice design too. But it absolutely sticks out and it reminds me of that moment in the uh, documentary with the owner uh, the PIF runner that mm. runs the team where he says, yeah, 
it's this is all about a bunch of people, journalists in particular, just don't understand what the PIF is. <laughs> is it the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Saudi Arabia <laughs> by any chance? Because if the answer is yes, I think I do understand what it is. Well, on the flip side, I was watching this game just so delighted by Brighton. I continue to love everything about this club uh, and all of the fun players they keep popping up out of nowhere and finding from beneath their couch cushions. And I, if I was ever a guy to uh, want to switch allegiances from club to club, <laughs> yeah. or let me put this, let me put it this way: as somebody who ends up. Uh, getting asked by a lot of Americans who are like interested in finding a club to follow in the Premier League, I always go really seriously take a look at Brighton. They're just such a cool, fun club to watch, and I'm really pleased by their success. I'd like to also, to, I mean, Evan Ferguson. I know this is a little bit lazy because he's kind of a, a blondish white guy, similar size and slightly similar frame, a little bit beefier maybe, but the second goal was such a Harry Kane goal. Like, I mean, that, that that was so Harry Kane. It was unbelievable. The sort of dropping off, picking up the ball and, and, and just kind of taking that shot a little bit early, that exact sort of slightly leading it into the to the post with that exact curve. I've seen Harry Kane score that a bunch of times for Tottenham. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, but I do bristle a little bit. I've seen a few sort of really lazy takes saying, oh, this is the guy who Tottenham should have invested their Harry Kane money in. I was like, mate, Brighton have brought in what is it 360 million on player sales the last sort of 18 months or something crazy like they don't they don't need money like it, it, they don't need money at all and Ferguson is on a long-term contract everyone knows Tottenham have just received a ton of money for Kane how do you think those negotiations would go my friend it's like uh, when you have um where do I remember this? I just remember maybe there was a disaster movie or somewhere where people were very cold and they were trying to stay warm and they started like burning money because they needed the heat more than currency because they were probably about to die from something. I'm not saying Brighton are quite in that situation, but the point is they need Evan Ferguson a lot more than they need money right now. Yeah, so that's, a, that's such a non-starter. And people who just kind of tweet, oh, do you, why don't they just sign him? It's like, because you can't. That's why, I don't, that's why they don't just sign him. It really annoys me if people are like, like, make this stuff out to be simple when it's actually really complicated. Um, I think I think it's possible because I, I used to be a bit like that when I was younger. I was like, you know it all. Like, These clubs are all badly run. They should sign him and him and him. It's actually really simple. Then you get a bit older and realize, I know, it's actually incredibly complex. And uh, yeah. It was funny. I, I did the math the other day. The profit, just purely the hundred million pounds in profit that Brighton has made from just selling Casado and Basuma alone was worth more than I think the total roster spend of two Premier League clubs, five Bundesliga clubs, like six or seven La Liga clubs, and a whole ton of uh, uh, League Un clubs. It's just the profit alone on those two players. <laughs> yeah, Brighton's doing just fine financially. Yeah, absolutely are. Uh, and uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's it's remarkable what they've done and that they continue to do. And they are an absolute joy to watch. Uh, Evan Ferguson, by the way, I don't know if you happen to see his post game interview. Kid is 19 years old, and he he was completely nonplussed about the whole thing. Like he just hit a hat trick. He's on television, man of the match, the whole thing. And you would have thought he had just won like an under 19 game the way. Well, just, what a cool character. Yeah. Okay. Well, he's a good Irish lad. It's one of the things I admire about him. 
you know, a lot of footballers are just like, and I mean, Evan Ferguson's physique is very good, I'm sure, but a lot of them are like really like immaculate and they look like they eat kale all day and this sort of thing. Evan Ferguson looks like a man who enjoys a good steak. And I respect him for it. <laughs> I, I do too. And uh, just so we can keep doing with what we were doing. So Brighton, upon return from the uh, from the break, get Manchester United, a road mm. game at Old Trafford. And I, uh, I, I, I smell the segue here, Peter. How do you feel about that matchup? And, uh, <laughs> Newcastle, uh, Newcastle have a home game against uh, Brentford. Mm. So yes, I guess now is the time we have to talk about the other uh, club sitting on the crisis pillow sofa, which is uh, my Manchester United. Yes. So this was, I had a very strange experience with this game because obviously they're two really interesting teams who are in interesting places in their season and or are big teams and lots of good players playing. And uh, I was struggling to, I did, this wasn't a great game, was it, Peter? I mean, you're a fan of one of them, so maybe you watched it differently, but I just kind of, kind of struggled to really get to grips with it. It, did, it didn't grab me. I, I felt myself like glazing over and looking down at my phone quite a lot. How it, was it for you? Uh, I thought, I thought I found it entertaining um, in its, in its own weird way. I know exactly what you're talking about though, because the way United was very patient and just passing the ball around in their back half of the field, mm. the addition of Anana has completely transformed and I'm not necessarily sure it's all worked out yet, but it certainly has made United look like a very different team in terms of trying to build out of the back and his style of what he does uh, and has certainly changed how teams kind of line up against them because he's so yeah. capable of, of playing those balls out. Um, the problem is, is they everything in front of him is still very much uh, uh, a work in progress. Yeah, a couple of absentees in the back line mean, means that you have a back four that was a bit uh, sketchy on paper. And you know, I <laughs> and it just got worse as the game went on. <laughs> yeah. So when the lineup came out, I thought, well, this is going to be a yeah. I nearly said some bad words. This is actually going to this is going to be one way traffic, as they say. This is going to be one sided. This is going to be bad for United because you have that sort of slightly sketchy back four. And then you have the Casemiro Eriksen double pivot, which I don't think anyone really trusts at this point, with sort of Bruno Fernandes running around doing Bruno things and, and like Martial up front. I was like, this, this, this can't be good. And, and I actually think United did better than I expected. They were they were a bit better defensively, certainly than I thought when I, they would be when they saw the team sheet. Of course, very unfortunate, I guess, tied offside call going against them uh, in, in in the second half, so the game could have gone differently. Do think Arsenal were better across the ninety minutes, but performance wise, kind of better than I expected for United under the circumstances. Is that fair? Am I being too fair? Yeah, no. I'm. I United played a better than they have all season, but I don't still don't think they played good. Mm. Uh, and they were this close to winning that game, like you said, Granacho. If he if they that doesn't get called offside. You could see how that game ends two one United, and that, and we'd be having a very different conversation. Mm. I don't want to get a for all of the things that are wrong with United. I think those are all things that we anticipated, mm. and you can see how they will get better as Rasmus. By the way, Rasmus is a kick ass first name. By the way, as a guy who got <laughs> as a guy who got left with Peter as a first name, Rasmus <laughs> is such a proper 
Ah, I love that name. Is that why, for the purpose of the conversation, you've named yourself Pedro in our recording device? (laughs) You just wanted to spice it up a little bit. (laughs) Well, I brought the guac. Uh, Yeah, exactly right. Oh my god, I'm so slow today. (laughs) And uh, and you can and with Amrabat getting signed and how he's going to help things, you could see things. There's some hope there, but I I I do want to turn over to the other side of the coin a little bit and talk about. I still can't completely put my finger on it. What's wrong with Arsenal? Is it all Havertz? Is it all just his weird experiment of trying to figure out how to get something out of Kai Havertz in the midfield? I, I don't, I don't want to blame everything on Kai Havertz. Um, as far as Arsenal go, I think things will improve when Zinchenko now is back in his role. Um, the Thomas Party thing, I didn't quite get like him being the sort of defender that steps into midfield again uh, Mikel Arteta knows a lot more about football than I do and he sees him in training every day so I'm I'm sure there's an idea behind it but I would have thought Ben White who's you know a very good sort of ball play actually kind of a ball playing center half who's ended up playing right back a lot but has also played as a holding midfielder but have the perfect skill set to do that Uh, but that's not how it's gone but either way with Zinchenko back I think that sort of stuff should start working a little bit better again. Havertz remains Havertz. He is, I don't think anyone who watches football carefully and, and, and have any doubt that he is very, very skillful and someone who has the skill set in terms of what he can do to, to be an effective player, but he is not affecting these games so far. He really isn't. And even as someone who like, I am kind of rooting for him because I do, I do love a fixer upper, and I do know that there, I do know, I'm confident, I believe that there is a great player in there, but no, even I have to acknowledge, we're not seeing it so far. I just, I can, I, in my head, I can see this scene where Arteta just sat in front of a computer screen for hours watching highlight films of Havertz at Chelsea <laughs> and other places going, you know what, if I could just do this with him, I've got yeah. a player in there and he's almost overthought it or something. It just, I don't know. Hopefully well, it all I mean, works. You, you, you could do a lot worse than actually watching Harvard's highlights from the Leverkusen days videos because sure, yeah. he was a great he was a great player to watch. And again, no. maybe this is one of those areas where when the manager sees him in training and then sees what he thinks he can do, wants to give him every single chance to to figure that out on the field, just looks a little bit lost. I have to say, as as a huge Harvard's defender, it's hard to really defend the performances so far. And getting back to United, you know, part of what's happened in the aftermath of the loss is just the amplification, deservedly, over the whole Glazer situation, which really reached new heights in the day before the the lead up to this game, when rumors started going around that now they're not going to sell the club because now they want $10 billion and and everybody just uh, probably rightfully just really... uh, torches and pitchforks about trying to get them out and everybody wanting to point to Johnny Evans and Harry Maguire ending up at center backs at this point. And I, and it just, I guess the only, my only pushback on that is, is, is your re- Ten Hag at that point was desperate. I don't know how many clubs can yeah. run five and six deep yeah. at center back. This is uh, this is the problem with having you on, sir. You're far too sensible. That was exactly the same thing I was going to say. Uh, you know, if you if you're down what three center halves, number four and five is is, is not going to be good. That's just most teams in the universe. Uh, that's not a sort of Glazer specific problem. My hot tip, if you're a Man United fan and this stuff is driving you nuts, 
just try to exercise some self-care here and try to not follow any takeover news or invest uh, passion and energy into reports that this could happen or that could happen because no one knows right and all the news every news story about the takeover not every but most all of them are kind of leaked by people involved in the process for for whatever reason they would have to leak things nobody knows except the people are like in the room and they're probably not talking to anyone and if they're talking to anyone they're they're doing it to signal something like it's just just sit back and relax and when the club gets sold it gets sold and if you're trying to follow it day by day you're going to drive yourself crazy yeah and i'd also uh just throw in there just because they sell it doesn't mean the person or people they sell it to are going to run it any better they may throw a lot of money at it right todd bully's throwing a (laughs) ass ton of money at uh chelsea and look what's going on there so that's a good uh, point. Them. Yeah. All right. So Villa would be next up. Oh, by the way. So we said uh, United have uh, Brighton at home next week and um, blah, blah, blah. Arsenal have a uh, road game to Goodison Park Ooh. against Everton. Who weren't right. that bad, actually. No. Uh, all right. We'll talk about uh, Everton here in just a bit. Aston Villa is the last club and probably maybe, I don't know, I maybe I was uh, forcing them onto the uh, – crisis pillow sofa um but i am surprised to see aston villa uh with only two wins so far this season and not playing quite as well as i anticipated and here's the other thing and i'm not close to villa maybe there's a good reason for this and somebody can educate me and straighten me out i don't understand why yuri telemans is not starting for this team yeah, no, I'm a big fan of his as well. I was so I excited. I was so excited they had signed him, and I just don't get why they're not using him. So this game, of course, I have not seen because uh, it was not shown on television in the UK because it would be very bad if people saw this game, I guess. But just looking at the lineup, they went with Kamara and Luis in midfield, which suggests to me that Una Emery wanted a very solid center, uh, which away to Anfield makes a little bit of sense but of course knowing that liverpool's central midfield is very skillful but potentially a little bit vulnerable in the defensive phase you wonder if that's one of those situations where you should probably go a bit bolder and see can we test these guys i i one of the things that i noticed immediately in this game when villa was on the ball there was a liverpool player up in that person's grill immediately Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. as soon as liverpool was on the ball there was always two to three yards of space given them and I and and that to me just seemed like a big mistake, especially no. <laughs> when they go on and score like five, eight minutes into the game. Liverpool have Wolves after the break, and uh, Aston Villa have Crystal Palace at home after the break. So there you go. Liverpool up to third place with three other clubs tied on ten points, and Villa all the way down in tenth. What a weird start of the season for Aston Villa. Yeah. All exactly right. So right. now we've we've cleaned out the crisis pillow sofa. We've decided who all those uh, uh, in trouble might be. So let's run through the rest of the games. Lars, we'll just go through kind of the order of games. On Friday, it was Luton Town losing again. But uh, maybe, uh, maybe this is the biggest surprise of the season. West Ham in fourth on 10th place. They're one of the teams with 10 points. And uh, David Moyes has uh, got something working there, my friend. He does. Uh, they, I, it really feels like they have gone back to basics. David Moyes is 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 moising again, though. This, of course, wasn't was an atypical David Moyes game because they had to have a they had to kind of control the tempo and stuff. They had to be the team in possession. 
because uh, Luton were, uh, <laughs> were sat back uh, a lot. And again, there were some positive-ish uh, things from Luton, I thought, but, but West Ham got the result. They got the three points. I think they've had a very good transfer window. I think West Ham have brought in three players who I'd be very happy to see at Tottenham. So I, I do kind of like it's shaping up quite well, I have to say. Uh, but as I watched this game, all I could think of is looking forward to whatever the date is that you and I are going to go watch a game at Kenilworth Road. 10,802 people for a Premier League game. Most high school stadiums in the Dallas-Fort Worth area are <laughs> significantly bigger than that. And so I think that's quaint and romantic, and I'm looking forward to attending a Luton game with you, Lars. Yeah, well, you're going to have to hurry because they are building a new stadium. So Kenilworth Road is well, it'll not be, there forever. It will be this season, no doubt about yeah. it. Okay, well, I look forward to that. I will take you on a grand tour of Luton. It's I part of the world it. I'm quite familiar with. You know, Lars, you and I both had Luton not getting relegated. Are we... Are you as worried about that prediction as I am at this point? Not yet, because I always thought this would be a tough season for them. And one of the reasons I thought they might emerge from the scrap is uh, I think they're not bothered. I think they're a team who will not panic at the fact that they have zero points from uh, from three games. And I think what's positive, if you can call it that, for, for Luton is that you know neither Sheffield United or Burnley look brilliant either. Uh, there are some other teams who... But, but no, listen. Let's, let's not sugarcoat this. They've not been good. Um, but, but it's only four but, weeks in. And it's and two of the games were against very tough opponents, and, and we'll, we'll see. There were, there were more positive things, especially in the second half here. Another assist for James Ward-Prowse. Who, this is what, when we went into the wacky zone with our season predictions, I regret not looking up the odds on James Ward-Prowse as the top assister in the Premier League this season because him doing the set pieces for a David Moyes team that's kind of firing on all its Moysian cylinders, uh, going to get him some assists, I think, from set yeah. pieces and stuff like that. Uh, they're, uh, just seeing him play uh, in a club and in a team that is his equal is a real delight because we're really starting to see his capabilities. and very good. Uh, Luton Town have a road game to Fulham after the break, and West Ham, interestingly, have a home game against City coming up next. Mm, but that, that's perfect. That's I mean, obviously, playing City is never perfect, but it's the kind of game where where they can moise. Yes. We turn that into a verb. They can moise away. Uh, <laughs> yes, they absolutely can, and that's why I think that game suddenly gets interesting. Can this thing that's been working for him work against the best... And it's a home game, too. So, you know, and it's after the international break. That's always the the wonkiest weekend for upsets because all, you know, it's just maybe sets up very nicely for the Hammers on that particular weekend. You never know. Erling Holland will just get another hat trick. But, uh, you know, let's let's, let's stay with this. (laughs) Somebody should write a book. Buy my book. Buy my book, everyone. (laughs) Buy the book. All right, so since we mentioned them both, they uh, they did play this weekend. City hosted Fulham. Look, I could go. I know there's a rule in the Lars Resort about it not is. talking about this, and I'm not yep. going to talk about it, but I Very am going to say nothing made me want to throw something at the TV more than that. It's not staying in. It's not. I'm going to edit that out. It doesn't make it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Erling Holland's on my side. Uh so City end up winning that game five to one. I, deserve, I, I just feel like this thing is in uh, coast mode for City for the rest of the season. I guess the most interesting thing about the game is that they only had seven shots. <laughs> so they were very like, 
but they were so comfortable still. And and Fulham, what well, you can't really judge them on what happens away to to City. They've been. It's kind of I'm sort of split between fifty percent of me is going to kind of getting a little bit tired of hearing Marco Silva whinge about referees, but then the other fifty percent is going. Uh, they've been pretty unfortunate so far with some of the decisions <laughs> as well. You have to be, if you have to say so. I think ref, ref, managers complaining about referees is very high on list. I things I have very little time for. Yeah, but yeah. The the refereeing gods have not been kind to Fulham so far. It is true. And uh, Jimenez does feel like a bit of a downgrade from Mitrovic. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> there's my there's my high level deep analysis. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm sorry. We shouldn't. Be. I, I suppose no one should ever be mean about Jimenez because it is sad the thing that happened to him and that he hasn't quite been the same ever since. But yeah, worried about Fulham. This game doesn't shouldn't change anyone's opinion of either team. I don't think. But but certainly, I let me actually check this real time. This is Lars looks up stuff live at the resort. It's incredible. <laughs> Do, 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 do. Have some guac, everyone. Yeah, here we go. So four games, sample size wise, it's very small. It's 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 on the small side still. But Fulham worst XG goal difference in the league so far, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I'm not even sure the XG numbers will have been that bad from the City game because usually the teams that play City early end up having a bad XG <laughs> numbers because because City do City things. But yeah, it wasn't even the City game. It was. Both the Arsenal and Brentford games, they had real bad XG scores. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm still thinking Fulham as an outside candidate to get relegated is uh, is an interesting one now. Uh, Lars, I have two questions I want to ask you before we finalize this. The first one is the ongoing uh, situation with Mohamed Salah mm. and Liverpool in the Saudi Pro League. Uh, their window closes in two or three, I guess on the 7th. Uh, Liverpool has said he is not for sale. Is there a is there a point or a price at which Liverpool may want to consider the offer? So this situation is strange to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, presumably, if Saudi Arabia wanted Mo Salah to play in their league, that's not something they've suddenly thought of now. I mean, they must have had that thought a couple of months ago when this mm-hmm. influx of guys were starting to happen. And I think if you'd have gone to Liverpool in the middle of summer and said, hey, Mo Salah, 200 million, what do you think? Probably would have gotten him. I, th- I think Liverpool would have looked at his age and and the realities of trying to be be Liverpool and compete with these other top teams with uh, having to, you know, stick to more sort of rational economical principles than some of their opponents. Uh, I think that I think they would have done. I think they would have gone for it. So, But they didn't, which seems weird to me. Second thing that seems weird to me, why make a big push for him on deadline day? It's not the deadline in Saudi Arabia, right? It, it it doesn't. It makes no sense because it's not as if Liverpool would have had time to to spend any of that money bringing in a massive signing on the last couple of hours of the window. That's just not how football works anymore. Like that, that wouldn't have gone. So they. So when they come on the afternoon and the evening of deadline day and really start pushing for Salah, that makes no sense because it's not their deadline. Their deadline is later. So so so, so that, that so I. I wonder if that was them. I know this is a little bit tinfoil hat territory. I wonder if that's kind of Saudi Arabia just kind of wanting to be part of the conversation yes. on deadline day. I agree. Of, one, of wanting to be the thing everyone talked about on deadline day because it's one of the days where the most eyeballs are on the football news cycle because there's no earthly reason for Saudi to push 
uh, for for Salah on that day in particular because it doesn't help it doesn't help Liverpool that they have like two hours to replace Mo Salah <laughs> that that they might as well go the next day like the, the it being on deadline day doesn't yeah so I think that there was an element of like wanting to be in the conversation I think if they really wanted him right now they would have gone earlier in the summer and they probably might have gotten the deal done I strongly suspect they will get him next summer because again money money isn't completely no object but they can spend a lot of money and for someone who's obviously you know the biggest uh, must be the biggest Muslim player in the world uh, oh, it, for it, sure. it, it, it makes a ton of sense so, so it's it's an obvious fit and Liverpool you know the people who run Liverpool are the kind of people who will look at the contract they've handed to Salah and they'll look at performance numbers and the fact that he's over 30 and they think hmm if we're rebuilding the squad anyway uh, maybe it's time to rip off the band-aid and cash in on this guy while we can and and, and, and go again. But I don't think for Liverpool selling him, selling him now with no realistic prospect of replacing him or even doing anything good with that money, I don't think you can really do that. All right, that's a fine and fair answer. My second question is uh, a full circle back to the question you asked me. What was your big takeaway from this weekend in the Premier League? Uh, bo- boring answer, but it's probably just all, all Tottenham bias, but it's just... Um, <laughs> Just Tottenham looking like a, just being just being a Tottenham a sympathizer and looking forward to match of the day is is a new and exciting sensation. Wow. Uh, having a team that you want to you want to watch them play football now, not just because you're obligated to, because they're fun. That's a an exciting sensation to have. Well, it was a fun weekend. Lots of exciting games. Uh, a big talking point is the thing that we are not allowed to talk about at the resort. <laughs> Yeah. So we won't. I'll save no. that for something else, some other time, some other place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, point all that stuff. It's out. you're having such a hard time uh, staying within the rules, aren't you? But I, I, I appreciate the effort you're making. Okay. Uh, anything else, Lars, <laughs> we need to talk about uh, no. here in the resort? <laughs> We're been, done. It's been a long visit to the resort. We've we've definitely like more than any any other time. This has basically turned into the kick around Tuesday on tour. <laughs> <laughs> Which this, is, this, this has been the kick around Tuesday visiting the Lars Resort in terms know, of like how a, this conversation went. Uh, like a good uh, listener of, or a good uh, listener of yours suggested when I'm when I'm on, you can call it kicking around at the Lars Resort. Yeah, that's that's basically what we've done. Sorry, uh, but, Lars. But, but, have but, I screwed no, up that, your podcast? That's nothing to apologize for. It was way too structured for what we usually do at the resort. This is what happens when we have an actual broadcasting professional involved. Uh, but, uh, but no, it was very good. I'm very grateful to you walking me through this uh, today. I, and for now, I think the traditional end of episode betting segment is on hold a little bit for the early uh, portion of the international break. I'm going to have a look at some of these teams in the first uh, games they play and see if we can find something interesting uh, for the second games. Uh, but for now, I'm easing off a little bit, and I'll be back with a more interesting uh, pick. Uh, All right, later, bo- I think. bonus inquiry from me before we end, since you brought up the betting stuff. How are your picks going so far this season? Very mixed season so mm-hmm. far. Very mixed season so far. Not really found our groove yet. Not bad, I would say. Not outright bad, but we had a very frustrated with the Chelsea Nottingham Forest thing uh, this uh, weekend. We did <laughs> land our bet in the Manchester City game. 
Uh, we did land Spurs to beat Burnley. You know, didn't get both teams to score in Liverpool, Aston Villa. That was a bit of a shock. I went pretty big on Arsenal beating United. So actually, it was a pretty decent weekend in terms okay. of my judgment. But uh, the two bet both teams to score ones that didn't land was immensely frustrating. So, Can you imagine uh, how much money somebody made if they bet on Forest to win at Chelsea? Yeah, you would have gotten a good price on that. I, not 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 a crazy price, I don't think, because really? I think the market is is wise to Chelsea having some limitations. I forget what odds they closed on, but uh, it wouldn't have been completely insane. Good stuff, Lars. As always, I appreciate and honored that you have asked me to participate in the Lars Resort. I will leave all the extra leftover guacamole here for you to consume uh, at your leisure. I will not take it home with me. Um, but uh, again, thank you, my friend. Yeah, th- this has been a proper sort of Jesus take the wheel episode here, or a, a Pedro take the wheel, as as it is. In the, uh, Peter has taken the wheel. Uh, I've been kind of slightly beaten up by, by events outside of the resort today. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for all your help. And uh, I, I am currently editing, or well, not right now, right now I'm talking. But generally speaking today, I have been editing the very exciting, uh, very good and interesting podcast interview I've done with a mystery guest that's coming up. Uh, on the feed in this international break. Uh, I hope you look forward to that. It's a bit of a left turn for us. We're going deep into FIFA waters, but uh, sometimes that's sometimes that's what we got to do. Lars, I just want you to remember one thing. There are a lot of people in the world that love you very much. <laughs> that's I've, Well, that's random, Peter. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's, let's go with it. Thank you. Let's finish on that.